Thank you, Greg. It's good to be with you guys. I, I feel like I'm tethered. Alright. Um, there we go. Um, it's good to be with you guys. I was just going to point out, maybe, like, if you're going by uh, Bibles for those kids, just pick your version well, because if you buy a bunch of King James Version, you're going to have, like, a generation of kids with impeccable English, but no one already understand them. Um, so... Uh, good news, or I think New Living Translation is probably a good one to go, but maybe check with Sia before you just go pick a Bible off the shelf. Um, we really are. We're getting into a vision series uh, now in the next four weeks. We're going to speak about that. Uh, for those of you who don't know, our church's vision is enjoy God, love people, release potential, and impact community. Four basic statements. And um, we, we're not doing it in perfect uh, order, so... Because we've strategized this, um, no, just because we, thought, we just thought who's preaching where and, and that kind of stuff. But uh, the cool thing is each of those concepts are standalone concepts, and uh, they do obviously work together. But uh, the one I'm going to be digging into today is love people, this idea of loving people. So I love the concept of enjoying God. We actually had, from day one when we started the church, we had love people, release potential, uh, and impact community. And then... We were just like we just feel like there's something missing, and, and years later we added enjoy God. Actually, the reason why it's not an order is because Paul loves that preaching that one so much. He's like, I have to preach it. I don't care when you're coming. I'm preaching enjoy God. So that's why that's how I remember now. Wow, it's messed up. Um, so I get to, to speak about loving people, which is awesome. And and like if you're in church, you like love people. And if you've been in church for any kind of time, you're like yeah, I love people. Yeah, we must love people. But like when you actually see what the Bible says about this stuff, it's kind of crazy. Uh, and I always haven't found it so easy uh, to love people because sometimes people are the worst. Um, it's hard when you hear a pastor saying that. But sometimes, I don't know if anyone else, maybe you're an introvert, a little bit introvert like me. You're just like people are the worst. Because if you think about it, people are the best. Like if you think about work, like if you've got a great team environment at work, you're like, yo, this is the best. But if you've got a bad team environment, you're like, this is the worst. Now you know what I'm saying when I'm saying people are the worst. It's like it's the best and the worst. It's like think of a great family stuff. Sometimes when everyone in the family is just getting on so well, you're like, yo, this is the best. And then sometimes you, you like go on holiday and then for some reason, I don't know what happens, like it rains too much and you all get stuck inside for too long. And then all of a sudden you're like, this is the worst, you know? It's like how can the best thing also be the worst thing? And even church, if you've <laughs> spent any kind of time in church life, sometimes you're like, oh, church. It's the best, man. I love people. And then, you know, two years in, you're sitting in a life group with the same person who's complaining about the same thing, and you're just like, this is the worst. I don't know, are you, am I being, am I the only one? Because you're not in your head, some of you, but like maybe you like, you're in the life group with that person. So fair enough, like just play cool. Um, and, and the reality is sometimes loving people can be really tricky. And the, the, the stuff that Jesus says about this stuff, when you dig into the Bible about it, it's really quite intimidating. Like there's a parable of the Good Samaritan where, you know, a guy's walking along, the, the guy's been beat up and left for dead on the side of the road, and the one guy crosses the road, the other guy crosses the road, says, you know, I'll pray for you, which is the Christian version is, I've done something, but it didn't cost me anything, so that's awesome. Um, you know, I'll pray for you, Christian, you know, it doesn't cost us anything. And then uh, the other guy, kind of, the Samaritan comes along, and he, he takes the guy to a hotel, and he, he books him in, and he, he cares for his wounds, and then he pays the innkeeper to look after him. And I'm like, how do we, like, apply this? Because, like, which one loved his neighbor? That was the thing. Who's his neighbor? Which one loved his neighbor? How do we apply this to love? Because we live in a society when we pass those sorts of people all the time. And, like, so what do we do about that? 
Because like I'm there at the robot, and then the guy's like yeah, and asking me for money, and I'm just like I was in my head because I'm like I can get lost, you know, like the nothing box. Men have a nothing box. I've got a really big one. Um, so like I'm lost there. Like I don't even know how I get home. Sometimes I'm just driving and doing my. And then suddenly this guy shouting in my window. I'm like, no, come on, bro. Because that's the thing for a guy when you get pulled out your nothing box. It's like traveling light years to get into reality. Ladies don't understand that how much effort it is to get from your nothing box into reality. And then, and then you're there and you're like, no, sorry, bro. I don't have cash on me. Do you have a zapper code? And then you feel bad because, like, I shouldn't have said that. That wasn't kind. And now I'm being unloving. And Jesus says stuff like, as I've loved you, so you should love one another. And then he says, greater love has no one, that, has no one than to lay down his life for his friends. Like, so, okay, practically, well, how do we do that? Lay down your life for your friends, you know? And then the thing is that Jesus didn't just lay down his life for his friends. He also laid down his life for his enemies. So now, like, at what point, like, you know, where does this love thing, how far do we take it? And, and you've got to figure this stuff out. And, and I think the problem for me, at least, is that for many years, I kind of just got stuck at the guilty phase of trying to figure this out. No, if you're trying to motivate being loving with guilt, like you can't do it. <laughs> because love and guilt can't coexist. I'm so guilty that I'm, I'm decided to love you. I'm like, well, thanks a lot. That sounds awesome. And you just take your guilt-driven love and put it somewhere else, please. Uh, and the reality is, is that in church, I actually found this, this meme, which I thought was quite funny. Uh, in, in church, like you're surrounded by people, and you've got to play this out, and people are different from you. And that's the beautiful thing about church, is that you're going to have to figure out some of these discipleship issues because of the people around you. But I found this meme when, when it's greeting time at church, but you're an introvert. And it's like, because I have that, like... And the question is, do even, like, introverts and love, does that work that way? Because, like, Paul sometimes says, do I have to love introverts? And the truth is, which is fine, because he's an extrovert, but do introverts have to love too? Or can we just love from, like, from like a, a ways away? It's like, I'll love you, you know, on Sunday between 8 and 9, and then the rest of the week, stay out of my space. Um, like, do introverts have, like, a different standard of love? That's what I'm asking. Like, does God go, like, I know I've asked you love, but you're an introvert, so it's, it's fine. Um, the reality is, is like, and then Christians develop this language around this stuff like, oh, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not like, Johnny, it doesn't mean you have to like everyone, you just have to love them. Which is like, I don't really understand what that means. Um, it's like, I don't like you. I love you, but I don't like you right now, that kind of stuff. And it's like, we've got to figure this stuff out. And I think really what I want to do today is I want to go, why do we love people? How do we love people, consistently love people and grow in love? And how do we quit the guilt? Because if you're sitting there, and like me, where you grow up in church, and you've learned about the imperative of love, and you're like, oh, I must love people. And then, like, you ask yourself, have you ever asked yourself the question, did I really love, my, love them in that moment like I should have? Which is just like, you know, this unending thing of standard of love that I'm trying to strive for. And as I said, if, you, if you're trying to be motivated by guilty feelings to love people, it's not going to work. So what, do we, what are we motivated by? So I'm going to read just from a single text, 1 John chapter 4, uh, from verse 7 to 19, something like that. We'll work our way through this text and see what it has to say to us. Uh, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Like, at the most basic level, if you're really struggling to love people, 
maybe you're not born again. That's what John's saying at the most basic level. Um, and so there is that thing. Is like Because I really only got born again like when I was 16, but I lived in a Christian household all the time. And it, was really, it was tricky loving people. But when you're born again and the love of God is born in your heart, like it's a whole bunch easier. And that's the amazing thing is this, is that you're born of love. God is love and you're born of God. And it says, anyone who loves is a child of God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And so the solution to lacking love is simple, know God. Because that's what we do sometimes, like, oh, I need to be more loving. I'm going to focus on being more loving. If you really want to focus on being more loving, spend more time knowing God, because the byproduct is love, because God is love, and when you hang out with Him, He just kind of rubs off on you. Have you ever had that friend who just carries an extraordinary amount of peace or extraordinary, extraordinary amount of joy or whatever it is, and when you spend time with them, they just rub off on you a little bit, and you find yourself slightly more peaceful, slightly more joyful? It's the same with God. If you realize there's a love deficit in your life, just go spend time with God. That's the solution. The, the solution isn't to go, oh, I'm going to you know, try harder to love people. And people who love are children of God. And we're not talking, you know, there's four types, famously four types of love in the New Testament. There's eros, which is romantic love. So fortunately, it doesn't mean that one, because that would be weird, this many people romantically loving. Anyway, it's, it's not filio, which is friendship love, which is great, because you get to still have friends who get a different type of affection from you than general people, is not storge, which is familial love or family love. It's agape, God's kind of love. And that's how we call to love. It's this unconditional love for people where we believe the best about them uh, and fight for them. And we're enabled to love because we're born of God and God is love. And when we're born again, we become children of God. He gave spiritual birth to us. And so his DNA, which is love, has been birthed in our hearts. And so if you're going like, oh, I find it hard to love, I'm just kind of like, get out your own way. Because if you're born again, you've got his DNA, and God is a God of love. You see, so much of the transition, I suppose, from a works-based Christianity to a grace-based Christianity, which is the one I've been stuck in, this transition, you know, realizing just who God's made me to, to be, is that is that grace does for us freely what we actually can't do for ourselves by hard work. And so you can love freely by grace with when all the effort in the world is not going to get you there. And what this is saying is have confidence that what you, when you were born again, what you were born of is the very DNA of God, and so you look like Him. So Jesus said stuff like this. He says, you are the salt of the world. To which I heard, I need to go and try and be salty. Which doesn't know what that means, but anyway, I've got to try and be salty, preserving, like I've got to be a game changer, I've got to go and try and be that. But Jesus says, no, you are that, don't try and be it, you just are it. So be who you are, wherever you are, and the salt thing will happen. But you put it through a lens of what do I need to go, or you are the light of the world. It's like, I've got to shine my light, I shine my light, Jesus said, I shine my light today. And Jesus is like, no, you are the light of the world. A light doesn't try hard to be light, it just has to be. And it says, don't, don't, you don't put the light underneath the basket. In other words, you have to work pretty hard to shut the light off. So get out your own way. Stop trying hard to be what you already are. God has made you to love because you're born again and you're born of His DNA, and that's who He is. And if you're like, I don't know, then you need to go understand what Jesus did for you at the cross because that's back to basics, being born again. 
Man, I was spiritually dead, and his spirit came alive, came and gave life to my spirit. There was nothing there before, and whatever is there now is of him. And he is love. And we need to have a deep confidence just in what God has done for us at the cross. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. He has the priority list. This is real love, love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Have you ever heard a story of a believer or someone who they had this encounter of God's love and it changed their life? I've got a friend like that, and he was literally lying in hospital. He had had an operation on his back. He was sucking bulimia and all sorts of weird things, depressed, broken. And God spoke to him about it. He said, I love you. And he said, you love me in this state. And he said, I love you. And it changed his life. And there's been moments in my Christian walk when I've gone, God, I want to love like that guy loves. So I need to have an experience like that guy had. So God, give me that experience, and then I can go and do it. So what I'm really saying is, God, give me something I don't yet have. So I can become loving like I'm not yet loving. And what John says is that if you want to know God's love, look at the cross. You see, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. And Jesus loved us enough to go to the cross. You don't need another experience, and other experiences are wonderful. If you have other experiences, awesome, but you don't need something else to become this person of love, God has shown it to you by sending His Son to the cross. It's amazing because so much happened at the cross. The justice of God was satisfied at the cross, but the justice of God didn't send Jesus to the cross. The uh, mercy of God was satisfied at the cross. God wanted to take away our sin, and mercy is you don't get what you deserve. And the mercy of God was satisfied at the cross, but the mercy of God didn't send Jesus to the cross. The grace of God is, flows through the point of the cross, but it wasn't God's grace that motivated him. It was his love that motivated him to send his son to the cross. The lavish Love of God for you. Do you understand that? I mean, Paul said, the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Not a sense of justice. He didn't do it because it was the right thing to do. He didn't do it to show himself magnanimous. He didn't do it to show what a big kind of God he was. He just did it out of his love for you. You can spend the rest of your life studying that and grow in revelation of it again and again and again. It's his love that motivated him to send his son. Another place it says about husbands, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church who loved her and gave himself for her. You know, the, the Jesus, again, he's saying that Jesus so loved the church that he gave himself for the church. 
I remember reading about, uh, I think it's Jacob, he goes off to Uncle Laban to escape his brother, uh, and he meets a young lass there, uh, Rachel, and he had to work seven years for her. And uh, it's Genesis 29, I think I've got this up, might have this on the slide, Gen- Genesis 29, 26. Uh, but anyway, it says that he, he had to work seven years for her, but because of his great love for her, it seemed like only a few days. I was like, yo, this must have been some girl. Seven years of hard labor. Seems like a few days. Because of his great love for her, Jesus Christ came and he gave his life for the church because he loved us and gave himself for us. Forget seven years. He gave his life. And he willingly did it. The Father didn't twist Jesus' arm to go to the cross. And we can journey in this space again and again and again and discover new depths of the beauty of God's love. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. God loves us that much that he sends his son to the cross and we're born of that love and so his love should flow out of us and it will flow out of us. And then it says no one has ever seen God but when we love each other we see something of him. And this is just the most extraordinary thing. John's saying no one has ever seen God but when we love each other we see God. So when we're saying we want to be a community that that practices love, what we're actually seeing is we want to be a bright, shiny light that when people look at this community, they see something of God. They see it in the interactions with each other. I mean, Jesus said, people know you are my disciples by your love for each other. And so it's love that should characterize, primarily characterize the people of God. Because when people see that, they see God in us. And his love is brought to full expression, it says. When we love each other, his love is brought to full expression. In other words, we get to mature in this and we get to grow up in this. And I have, uh, you know, we all grow up and we all mature, but I've got a, a son that uh, famously looks like me. I say famously, it's probably not that famous, it's just for me. I think it's awesome. Um, and there was this awesome photo where it was a cold winter morning. We both had our hoodies on. We took a photo and we sent it to Teresa's sisters in Oz. And then they sent one, sent it back. And both of us had the exact same Superman curl here on the forehead because we both got curly hair, dark curly hair. And I was like, yeah, my son, he looks like me. The truth is, is that right now he's 11 months old. He looks like me a little bit. And people go, ah, you look like your dad. Come and copy. I'm like, yeah, so proud, you know. And, and in time, he's going to start to act like me, which is a little bit nerve-wracking, I suppose. It's always a bit <laughs> insecure as a parent, like, what, what I like, what I see. Um, but the truth is, is, is who's going to be a fuller expression of their dad? 11-month-old Judah, or 3-year-old, or 7-year-old, or 12-year-old, or 20-year-old, or 40-year-old Judah? You know, it's like you grow up into maturity, and certainly if there's a a good father that's aspirational, you want to grow up to be like that. But at every stage, you still look like your dad. And we need to celebrate, like I'm celebrating fully, a single Superman curl. But I'm hoping for more. And so sometimes when we, we find ourselves like, oh, I'm loving, but am I really loving enough? And we don't get stuck in that space. Just don't worry. As you keep loving, God's love 
is expressed in you. People see God and it says you're brought into full maturity and you can grow and you mature in this thing. But celebrate the fact that at every place you still look like your dad. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Not only are we born of him, but we have him in the form of the Holy Spirit within us. And right there, bam, in two verses, you've got the Trinity all getting involved in loving us and helping us love each other. You've got the Father who loved us so much that he sent his Son. You've got a Father that loved uh, us so much that he wanted us to become his children. And the Bible says in Ephesians 1, it gave him great pleasure to adopt you as his son or his daughter. It gave him great pleasure to make you his child. And so you've got this father that had one son, but it wasn't quite enough, and he just wanted more and more and more. And so he sent his son so that he could have, Jesus would be the firstborn of many brethren, it says. And then you've got the son who spend time interacting with sinners. I mean, he's just so lavish in the way he loves the unlovely and he loves the unlikely and he spends time with prostitutes and he spends time with tax collectors and sinners. He even spends time with Pharisees. Because we forget that, right? Because like, was, oh, he's with the prostitutes, he's with the tax collectors. But he also hung out with Pharisees. At times he says he was at their home having a meal. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I'd rather spend time with rebels than with the self-righteous, because the self-righteous are more annoying. But Jesus doesn't really, he's not picky. He spends time with everyone because of his love. He spends time with people like me. And he spends time with people like you. I think that the most extraordinary thing for me is that any moment of any day I can step into, I can become aware of the presence of God and I can be in God's presence and I can connect with him. Because he loves to spend time with us. And then we've got the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit uh, loves people so much that He's willing to, to walk with us throughout our lives. The Greek word for the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16 is parakletos. It literally means the one that walks beside you through life. It's translated a number of different ways because there's no English word that's a full translation of, of the Greek, but it's translated as counselor, as advocate as consoler, as intercessor. So, I mean, that's amazing. On the one hand, he's advocating for us before God and the world. He's advocating for us. He's representing us to other people. He's counseling us at the same time. He's consoling us. So he's counseling us. He's giving us wisdom and advice on how to approach life. He's consoling us. He's walking with us through our grief and our pain and the stuff things. And he's interceding with us in the heavens all at the same time. And the parakletos means the one that walks beside us through life. That's what the Bible says, that we can grieve him by our behavior. And you can only grieve someone by your behavior if that person so longs to be connected to you. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Man, he wants to hang out with you so much that when we do stuff that, that break that connection or disrupt that connection, it grieves his heart because his heart is to be with you. It says that he gifts us and he anoints us. So even when we're serving him, he's like, I want to be a part of that. It's like you literally have this picture of the Holy Spirit going, uh, I want to be a part of every moment of your life. I don't want to miss a thing. I'm going to counsel you. I'm going to uh, console you. I'm going to intercede for you. I'm going to advocate for you. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to give you gifts. I'm going to walk through you. I'm going to be your constant companion because of his great love for us. 
And so we've got this extraordinary picture of this God that loves us. And we say, well, what must we do? What, what must we do now to have a relationship and to be with this one who loves us so much? Verse 15, all who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them and they live in God. Is that it? No, seven years to debate story of... You know, like if I, God gave me this thing, it's going to take seven years to accomplish, but after that, I'm going to walk in relationship with Him. I'm going to do this hard thing. I'm going to do the hard yards. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to wake up early, read my Bible, I'm going to pray, I'm going to do all these things, and it says, no, 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 no. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. That's what God wants for you. There's another place where people come to Jesus and says, Jesus, what must we do to work the works that you work or do the things that you do? And he says, believe, here's what God wants for you to do. Believe in the one whom God sent, the Father sent. And yeah, we wake up early and we pray and we read our Bible, but we don't do that so that we can experience his love. We do that because we are loved and we know he's going to hang out with us. Why would we miss a moment to connect with him? And this, this distinction isn't a small distinction. We're like, oh, well, you... You're playing with words. I'm not. There's a big difference from living in order to be loved by God and living loved by God, and the rest is an overflow. There's a massive distinction. If you're in a relationship with someone that's constantly trying to prove that they're worth loving, it's exhausting because they're trying to earn your favor, trying to earn what you're really giving them, but they're always insecure in it. And so you always have to prove to them again and again and again, no, I promise I love you. No, I promise I love you. Oh, I love you. Yes, I did notice that you made me a meal. Thank you so much. Yes, I did notice that you sent me a WhatsApp. Thank you so much. Yes, I'm I'm noticing you because they're insecure because everything they're doing is trying to prove that they're worth loving. And it doesn't matter what you do. You can never give that person enough to take away that insecurity. But at some point they go, actually, you love me. And I just accept that flat out. Now the motivation for everything is different. The basis of everything is different. So here's what you've got to do to be loved by God. All, well, you were loved by God before, but to live in this love, all who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God, this God of love that gave himself for us. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. And so there is a journey of our love growing perfect. In other words, that Greek word again means to be complete, to be whole, to be the full picture. But celebrate wherever you're at in the journey and celebrate that God's got more for you. Right now is the least amount of love, perfection of love you're ever going to have in your life. God's going to perfect it in you. He's going to take you to deeper places. He's got more for you. Man, he loves you. Have you seen how relentless his love is? And if you you forget, just go back and read an account of Jesus dying on the cross again and realize what he he did for you. And, And that's how we know that he loves us. And so we can assure ourselves that he loves us and that he's working for us to know his love again and again. So we will we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. But we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. You know, one day, as surely as you're seated here, you're going to come before the, the God of the heavens. And there's going to be judgment day. And now believers aren't judged between life or death. We're not judged between heaven and hell. 
but we are judged based on how we live. And there's a judgment there, and I'm not going to talk too much about that. That's Paul's job. I'm joking. <laughs> Hospital pass. But there's a day of judgment. But what he's saying is that we can be unafraid of it. Because when you see how much he loves you, all that's going to come is you're going to come face to face with the one that loves you so much. The veil between us is removed. And then we'll see him even as he sees us. And so we can have confidence. And if you've got a spark in your heart, like, oh, that day sounds scary, just know you, the, the solution to that is not living a better life. It's just receiving more love from the Father. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. We are, if we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and it shows that we have not fully experienced this perfect love. Fear is anti-love. And I know this verse is speaking about God, but so often the way we interact with people when we're not in love, it's because we're driven by fear. Every, ever approach people or interact with them and you had the sense of fear? What are they going to think of me? Are they going to reject me? A fear of disdain? Will I be accepted? What will they say behind my back? What happens if they hurt me? Because remember, people are the worst. I mean, the best and also can be the worst. You see, fear is behind all racism and all sexism and all breakdown in a relationship. There's a fear that drives people. And so the, the, the truth, the antidote to this is, number one, going to God and have him answer the big questions of our life. Are we valuable? Do we have worth? Are we significant? And God answers those. And what that means is that we're not taking those questions to the people around us. But we're going to them and we approach them from a place of love. And then Paul ends this amazing passage just like this. We love each other because he first loved us. The order here is crucial. If you want to be a more loving person, stop trying to be a more loving person. We love each other because he first loved us. Go to the place of the first love. When the Bible says you, you forgot your first love, go and do the things you did in the beginning. The first love is God. God's our first love. Jesus is our first love. I don't know. That, that's what it... For me, what I was enamored with when I came to salvation is I just fell in love with Jesus. I couldn't believe there was this Jesus that loved me this much. And I wasn't thinking about ministry, and I wasn't thinking about a career, and I wasn't thinking about you know, the promises of God, and I wasn't thinking about entering into an inheritance. I wasn't thinking about any of those things. All, I didn't even think about trying to love people. I don't know. I've had to love people at that point. All I was thinking about is I can't believe there's a Jesus that loves me. I can't believe it. And when you live in that space of that continual revelation of a Jesus that loves you, it says we love each other byproduct of our first love because he first loved us. And when we live in that love, it completely reshapes our life. And so when we're talking about a church value of love people, what we're talking about is a church that's so embedded in the love of God that it flows through us to other people. And we're speaking of a people that are living loved and because of that have something to give away. I don't know, uh, just this week I was, I mean, I was going to say, I don't know how many times I've seen this story, but this week I was helping, uh, helping someone prepare their testimony. We're going to be filming it shortly. And, and this person has just the most extraordinary story of, firstly, absolute brokenness, 
in her childhood at a level of, as a pastor, I've known a lot of people at a level I have probably, I don't think I've ever seen before. And you meet her today and she just oozes God's love and you're like, what happened in between? You know, it's like, she said, I came out of St. Joseph's, I was on 12 different types of medication, I was getting divorced, I was just in this space of absolute brokenness and someone said, you know, you need to see a pastor and... And I was like, well, I've tried, you know, Reiki and Buddhism and 1,200 other things. And also I need counseling. I can't afford any. So she went and, and if so, if then a friend invited her to Olive Tree and, and she came and, and she said, I was in this church and there's people, there was just the sense of God's love in the space. And then I was in worship and the love of God just melted my heart and I was an absolute wreck on the floor. And I mean, when you want to see a changed life, a transformed life, there isn't a ministry strategy in the world that can do that. There isn't a, 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 man, we've got a really clever life group system. We've thought about it. We've got like a way of developing leaders and having great content. And no one can do that. But the love of God is so powerful. And when we see what God does and how his love melts hearts and his love changes people, it's like, I just, I just want to be a small part of that story. And maybe that's just inviting someone somewhere or just being some. Because the love of God can do what a hundred years of counseling can't. And the love of God can do what great strategy can't. And the question is, is that as a church... Do we really believe that God's love is so powerful that it can change lives in a moment? And that's our strategy. To be really aware of our limitations, but man, we carry within us the love of God and it changes people just like it's changed us. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for your extraordinary love for us. I can't believe that there's a God like you. And in my wildest dreams, I couldn't imagine a God that loves like you love. And I pray, Father, that for the rest of my life, I just receive your love and give it to others. And thank you, God, that I can love others because I'm born of you. And I can love others because you first loved me. And I pray, God, for every person in this room that they would know how much you love them. In Jesus' name.